The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. ...shared with these disciples uh, at this evening, and uh, those things that have, uh, especially as they have pertinence to uh, our lives today, and we are thank you for uh, we are thankful for that, uh, and it uh, gives us confidence as we open your word to understand some of these promises that uh, that he made to them, and we're thankful for it. Then again, Amen. So in John chapter fourteen tonight, we were last week we were looking at the uh, promise that we have that. Um, the promise that uh, <clears throat> that if uh, believers would abide in Christ, or not abide in Christ, but as believers uh, would love or guard his commandment, then that he would come and he would make himself plainly visible to them, manifest himself. And we saw that last week, that promise that we have, uh, a promise that I really don't think that we should... Uh, there are people that they want to see Jesus. You know, they want him to show up and they want him to appear and they want to see a visible Jesus that stands there and talks to them in this form. But in reality, these disciples had this and Jesus is indicating that this is actually going to be better than that because this is actually an in-person, internal relationship that we have with him. And it, in reality, is better than even what the disciples had when they walked the earth. But that brings us down to verse... Um, down to verse uh, 25 uh, tonight. It's John 14 and verse 25. And he says, I have told you these things while I was uh, remaining with you, but the encourager, or the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that will teach you all things and remind you of all the things which I have told you. And so we'll pause and we'll, we'll, we'll sit on those two verses here for a little bit before we move on to verse 27. But as he starts this off, I've told these things while I'm remaining with you. He's going to repeat that again down in the context again, that I've told you these things before it happens. It says in verse 29, so that when it happens, uh, that you would believe. But he says, I. this is the important part. Verse 25 is giving us a context for understanding some of the things Jesus is going to say. I'm saying these while I'm with you but I'm saying these in anticipation of being someplace else, not with you. And that was important for them to understand. Then it comes to verse 26, where he's looking at the person that's going to take his place, the person that's going to step in and fill the role that he had been doing as the one that had, that had been their teacher and their helper. It's going to be the Holy Spirit in verse 26. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. Now, remember, when we have problems when we read this expression, in my name, because when we pray, we always pray in his name. So what do we say at the end of prayers? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I'm not going to fault anybody for saying that at the end of a prayer. But the real point of sending the Spirit in the name of Christ and praying in his name is that the Spirit's going to come uh, there to represent Christ. He's going to come and he's going to manifest something about Christ's character. And likewise, when we pray or talk to God in the name of Jesus or in the name of Christ, we are doing so with regard to his character and our relationship to him. And so he says here in verse 26, this, this helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that one will teach you all things and will remind you 
all things that I have told you. Now, the first part we're going to deal with is he says he's going to teach them all things. And if you just turn over to chapter 16, turn over to chapter 16. And if we go to verse 12, chapter 16 and verse 12, he says, yet I have many things to say to you, but you're not able to bear them. And that word bear means to carry them like they're a heavy load. Okay. Uh, and that Paul uses a form of this word over in Galatians chapter six, where he's talking about carrying somebody else's heavy load. He says, well, you can't carry these. And the implication is these are too heavy for you right now. If I, if I dumped this truth on you, you would be buckled to your knees. It's a good image of you can't bear them. You can't carry them. You're, you're mentally going to crumble if I tried to unload this truth on you right now. Okay? Now, we could go through and we could ask a whole bunch of questions like that. But just think in terms of the mysteries. Just look at the mysteries themselves. What do we have? 11 mysteries, 12 mysteries. I don't keep a number track of them, but... Think about the fact that he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this, this new entity, the church, which these guys have already heard him mention something like this, but they probably don't think it's anything different than just Israel in their mind. But he's going to tell them as a mystery that that body of Christ is Jews and Gentiles are absolutely equal heirs with equal access and they're equal parts of that same body. And that would have just knocked their socks off. In a, it would have just, it would have been crazy and then to come along and say and you're not going to live under the law anymore you're going to be living under grace because you are going to be in me remember i told you that in, in just a few few paragraphs or a few statements ago a few minutes ago in john 14 20 tells them you're going to be in me i'm going to be in you and i'm sure that that's something that just kind of went past them that they're like um, okay they have no clue as to what that means they don't understand that but the implications of that is that, that that's the foundation of living by grace and how we live uh, in this relationship. And Christ dwelling in them is going to give them the ability to actually live out glory. That's a mystery that the scripture says. We can actually live out something about God's reputation. So we could go through those mysteries. And I just grabbed three of the mysteries out of the New Testament right there. And just those three mysteries themselves would have probably just sunk these poor guys uh, in this situation. In fact, I don't know if we'll get down to the verse tonight, but there's a verse down below that's going to show you that these guys were having problems. Because Jesus is going to say, if you, if, if, you have love, if you had loved me, and it's a, third, or it's a second class condition, and you're not, then this would have happened. But it's not. Okay. And uh, you don't see that. Our Bibles just say if, and you don't understand that it's an if that Jesus is actually negating. He's saying this isn't going on, but it's not reflected in your translations. So he says, I have a lot of things to tell you, but you can't bear them right now. Verse 13, but whenever the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. Now, I believe here, even though there, Paul tells us in Romans that there's an aspect of the truth that relates to the unsaved, in terms, they have to come to grips with the fact they cannot save themselves. Only God can do that because he's the only one true God. There's this new aspect of the truth. Jesus talked about it in John 8, that you will, in that day, you will know the truth and the truth will free you. See, You're going to have freedom with regard to your sin nature. And he says, but he's going to guide you in that. He's going he's to be the one that's leading you. You don't have to get out of you don't have to get out a map to go, oh, we're supposed to go this way. The Holy Spirit's going, just keep following me. I'll show you. No, no. 
turning to law, that going down that path over to the law. That's uh, that's. It may look pretty from here, but that path is not the path, or it may look promising from here, but that is not the path that's going to lead you to freedom. You need to follow me to your life in Christ Jesus. And this, so this is the kind of thing. He's going to be guiding you to learn that truth. And he says he will not speak from himself, but the things he will hear, he will speak, even things coming he will announce to you. And that one will glorify me because he will take or receive from my things and he will announce them to you. And we'll get to this in more detail when we get there. But the whole point is he's talking about these things related to who Christ is and what he's doing. That's these things. These things about Christ and what he's doing right now. Things that these guys wouldn't understand. To think about, I'm going to die and I'm not going to hang around here and I'm not going to set up my kingdom. I'm actually going to sit down at my father's right hand waiting for my kingdom one day, waiting for my throne, but I'm going to function as a priest on your behalf. And they're going to go, what? You can't be a priest. You're, you're from the tribe of Judah. Only people from the tribe of Levi. Um, okay. I don't know what happened there, but for, for a brief moment, it looked like it said I signed out. So anyway, um, so he says, as you're, as you're stopping and thinking about this, uh, disciples, he says, just know that the Spirit's coming and he's going to be the one that's going to fill in all these details and lead you in these details like this. Now, he doesn't use the word teach here in John 16, but if we go back over to John chapter 14, he does use the word teach. Because there's going to be a lot of things that he does. Now, we talk, we've talked about this um, not too long ago in here, but what is it that the Spirit actually does when he teaches us? How does he teach us? And the second question with that is, if the Spirit's the one that teaches us, then what am I doing up here? We might as well, we, we all should just sit at home and just hold our Bibles and just maybe, well, maybe read them. He doesn't even tell them that. He doesn't even tell them, read your Bible. He says, just the Spirit. That's right. He's going to, he, he puts these things together. He instructs us. In fact, uh, one of the words for teaching in the New Testament that's used is the word sumbibadzo. There's the word manthano to teach like a student. But sumbibadzo is a word literally meaning to knit two things together. And you think about how often you do that when you teach. You take this idea and you take this thing, you take one and one, and you knit them together, and it becomes two. You knit a third thing to it, an answer. And so the Spirit does that with us. He teaches us these things. But turn with me over to 1 John um, chapter 2. First John chapter 2, and if we um, go up to verse 18, and if you remember the verses back up in the context, he was talking about the church in terms of these different categories, people at different statuses or levels of maturity. And he says in verse 18, to the paideia, these are, these are people that they're, they're learning something. They are learning something. The paideia is a, is, a, is a child under instruction. Okay, okay, yeah child or children in that in verse. And uh, he says, he, so he's telling them it's the last hour. And as you heard, in other words, see, these people have learned. They go, oh yeah, I remember him telling us about that Antichrist is coming. He says, even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how you know that it's the last hour. Oh, 
oh, oh, okay, okay. See, they put, so they're putting two and two together. Okay, they needed someone to help them do this. And he says, they went out from us. This is probably part of the problem. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had remained among us, or um, they would have remained among us, but it might be this, or if they were of us, pardon me, I'm just butchering the Greek here, then they would have remained with us, but that it might be plainly visible that they are not of us. They left. It's kind of filling the blank at the end of that. But this is part of this is part of the reason that he's even writing this is because you've got these young believers who are going, wait a second, these people were here and they were in our church and they did all that stuff and they sang songs with us and our, they bounced our kids on our knee and they sat at our potlucks and they sat in our Bible studies and now they left. And John says, well, they weren't really ever part of us. Okay, that should all of a sudden then make these young children a kind of a question mark go, okay, what, what do you mean they weren't really part of us? Well... You have an anointing from the Holy One. Who is your anointing? The, Spirit. the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's anointing. And so you don't need, you don't, it says, and I, I did not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. You guys already know the truth. In other words, this was, this is Christianity 101. Who are you in Christ and how to relate to it? Paul, or John, excuse me, this is John writing. John would have taught these people this. I'm honestly, he would have taught this within the first day or two of their being a believer. I'm just absolutely so confident that this is the way these guys operated. And he says, and every lie that is not of a truth. So he goes, okay, you, you're, we're all on the same page. Okay, you know the truth. You know what it is. You know there's one true God. Okay, so let's take that truth. And if there's a lie, then that can't be part of it. So who's a liar? So one that denies that Jesus is the Christ. That is, they're denying something about Jesus being resurrected and glorified or exalted. They're denying something about that, probably both aspects of that. This one is the Antichrist. Not only do they deny that, but further, the one denying the Father and the Son. How do they do that? Well, if you deny the Son. I always think Mormons are a real good example of this. They pray to, they pray to Heavenly Father all the time. They call him Heavenly Father. Let's talk to Heavenly Father. They do this, but they deny the Son, and they go, well, no, we don't deny the Son. Well, this is the question. Is the Son absolutely as eternal and equal to the Father in every aspect? And sometimes so they're, they're going to go... that he is the I am, but he's the master builder. That's right, yeah. They deny that they're absolutely equal. And so the thing is with the Trinity is if you deny one part of the Trinity, you have to deny them all. In fact, we even had a statement that Jesus made in John 14. I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. That's the best way of saying we're, we're distinct in terms of being persons, but we are so interrelated because we're one God. That's not anything any of us can say. We don't, we don't have that relationship with anybody in that, in that regard with any kind of a person down here. We're two separate persons, but we're not one being. And they are one being. They're not two gods or three gods. They're one God. And so... He said, if you've seen uh, me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. So therefore, if you can't see him, you can't see the Father either. So they're praying to Heavenly Father. Is not, they're not praying to the Father because they really don't know him. That's right. In fact, if you were really put things together with the whole doctrine of the truth, you go back to John 8 and he says, you're doing, you're doing the desirous will of your father, the devil. <laughs> Just keep that in mind when you're talking about unsaved people. When they think that they're doing the will of God, their God is the devil. They, you, they'd be totally offended and shocked if you told them that, but that's what Jesus told the religious leaders and it offended them in his day. 
I'm not saying that we're supposed to go tell them that, but it's, it's, it's stated for our benefit to understand that. He says, this one is the Antichrist, one denying the Father and the Son. Everyone denying the Son, verse 23, does not have the Father. The one that confesses the Son. What does he mean confess? It means he agrees. Agrees what about the Son? Agrees that the Son is God. This one also has the Father. I mean, that's what the word confess means. It means you're in agreement. And it could be a verbal agreement. It could be a mental agreement. I think, personally, I think it's a verbal agreement because these people were not verbally agreeing who the Son was. So what you've heard from the beginning, let it abide in you. In other words, they'd already heard these kind of things. Let it abide in you. In order, uh, uh, and if it should abide in you, that which you've heard from the beginning, then you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. You're going to abide in both, both persons uh, in this regard. And this is the promise that he promised us eternal life. Again, they don't know eternal life, which means they cannot experientially know God, the Father. They can't experientially know God, the Son, because that's the way you experientially know them is you live out eternal life, and you live out eternal life by doing acts of love, which is going to come up as another issue in 1 John, which we're not here to teach this. But there's a reason we're going through these verses. Verse 26, these things I wrote to you concerning those who are leading you astray. In other words, these people were trying to lead believers astray. Now, you look at that and you go, they were leading them astray. He doesn't say they were trying to lead them astray. He does say they were leading you astray. Meaning, some of these young children were kind of maybe getting a little bit confused by the things they were hearing these antichrists say. Which is a reminder. Real believers can listen to the nonsense that's promoted by these other religions. And sometimes, I think primarily because of immaturity, like these guys, they buy into it and they start to actually take in some of these things and, they're, and they get really confused about these things. And there's a lot of issues like that. Um, he says, but that which you've heard from the beginning, if you let it abide in you, uh, then you abide in the Father and Son. This is the promise, verse 25, I had to go back and find my place, which he promised us even eternal life. And I wrote these things to you concerning those deceiving you. And the anointing that you have received from him, it abides in you, and you do not have need that anybody teach you. In other words, if you really stop and think about it, you were taught this truth at the beginning, and you don't, I think what he's saying is, you don't really need me or anybody else right now to teach this to you, because you already were taught this. And I think it was, I, because he already said you've already heard these things from the beginning. So that meant... The people that were involved in leading these people to the Lord, John being one of them, they taught them these things right off the bat. Isn't that the teaching that comes from the Holy Spirit? And I think it is. So, so they taught them these things, and the Holy Spirit put these details together when they taught them this. So they already know it. So essentially what John is tell, telling them is, you don't really need me to tell you this. If you just pay attention to what you were taught before and what the Holy Spirit's put, put together, even if you can't give a dissertation on what is wrong with, as an example from today, even if you can't go through and give a dissertation on all the faults and problems with Mormon doctrine with regard to who Jesus is and salvation, you can still look at it and say, that's not the truth. I can't tell you everything that's wrong with it, but it really does not look right. This is essentially what he's telling them. You don't need other people to come along and do this. That doesn't mean that other people shouldn't come along and remind them. He's, but he's just telling, you don't really need me to remind you of this. 
You just pay attention to what the spirit's going to do. It's like it's almost like he's saying that the alarm's going off here and the spirit's going, whoa, guys, whoa, listen to what they're saying. Does this match what you know? Mm. So okay. This is, this is pretty close to the analogy that people use for counterfeit bills. You don't need to study a thousand counterfeits. You just need to know the one truth and anything that's different is wrong. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That is absolutely the case. We could spend a ton of time going over all the problems with all the other religions and showing you, uh, and their classes, you, they're classes, sometimes they have classes in churches where they'll take 12 weeks and they'll go over all the doctrines of Mormonism and stuff like that. And uh, is, it, is, it, is it maybe helpful once in a while for someone to point out, hey, these three people believe this, 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 and, and do that in five minutes or 10 minutes? Well, maybe. But to make that the object of all your teaching in your classes, you need to bring them back to the Word of God and you need to say, this is what the Word of God says. Now, they have these three points. Do those three points match what we just looked at in the Word of God? Uh -uh. There you go. Is that enough? Especially for the immature. If you're taking a bunch of people who have recently been saved or only recently been taught, they're the ones that are going to get confused by this. But if you take an elder or someone who's at father rank, yeah. Then it's not going to be something that's going to, I mean. Yeah, the, exactly what you're saying. The, the people that are at the level of the fathers, they don't seem to be addled by this. I don't, even think the, I don't even think the young men are generally addled by them, by what's happened. They've got other issues, such as maybe the young men should have stepped up to be helpful to these younger believers, but they're so enthralled with the world system and getting everything that the world tells them they can have that they're not taking time with these younger believers. So John's stepping in and he's just reminding them, you guys know this. Come on, this is Christianity 101. Sadly, it's not Christianity 101. You know how many people get saved? And it's a long time before they ever sit in a Bible study where they're actually taught about the deity of Jesus Christ so that it's really plain and clear so that they can actually go, oh, I see what the Bible says about him. Because I can guarantee, I mean, I was taught that Jesus was absolutely God. I didn't question that. But if you would have asked me to explain that growing up, I had John 1.1. That would have been my verse. And it's a good verse. I'm not saying you need a whole bunch of others. But I couldn't have I couldn't have really done any a great job of opening the Word of God because it wasn't something that we did a, a tremendous amount in, in the it, at when I was growing up a lot. Uh, we did have a pastor that came along and did help a lot in those areas, but nonetheless, it's uh, so back I'm still back in verse 27 here first John 2 27 he says in the anointing that you've received from him and he abides in you and you don't have need that anybody teaches you but even as that same anointing teaches you generally concerning all things and it's really important that that in the Greek it's he has the Greek preposition peri which means around so it's generally around all those things the Spirit doesn't come along and give you a detailed understanding and analysis of every last aspect of the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Gives you what you can handle, Right. It's and I, I think about that sometimes when I'm teaching, is that one of the things when you're teaching, you kind of have to gauge your audience. You got young believers, you know what? 
you don't necessarily have to go through the nuance of grammar of everything that's in the Bible and every and I study that stuff and so then I'm like enthralled with this and so I've got to explain this thing and they're they're kind of like sitting there going their heads exploding because it's like I just they're just trying to they're trying to learn the basics of Christianity and I'm getting into something that give them a give them a month or two to learn this stuff. You don't have to dump all this on them or today because we don't we may not be able to teach as frequently as they did in the New Testament. Give them six months, you know, to be able to explain all these other little details and nuances. But this is what he says. Uh, and uh, that teaching teaches you generally concerning all these things. And it is true and is not a lie. And even as he taught you and then this is the other detail, abide in him. You know, the best thing he says to do, and he's going to bring this up again in 1 John, the best thing for you to do is to learn to abide in him, which means that John taught these people to abide in him. And I have to say that I, my understanding of abiding when I, when I finished seminary was not great because I thought that abiding was like something you aspired to and it was like, it was like kind of like the pinnacle of, of maturity is the way I understood it. But John was teaching, John said that these young believers, these paideia, that they'd already been taught to abide. This was Christianity 101. This is who you are in Christ and you can be at ease there. Does that mean maturity then just means that you're at ease more often for maybe longer lengths of time? But it doesn't mean that, well, the mature believers know how to be at ease. The immature believers, they can only think about who they are in Christ, but they can't really be at ease in Christ. That's not what John is saying here. And so he says the best thing to do is to abide in him. And he's going to tell them, like I said that again, he's going to tell them abide in him because abiding in him addresses other problems that these young believers have that we're not going to talk about right now. But the reason we come over here is John is not saying that these young believers got saved and then all of a sudden there was a Holy Spirit download and they learned all these things about who Jesus Christ is and who they are in Christ and how to abide. That came through human teachers that had to communicate the word of God accurately. And then, and think about that. And then, well, this is the other thing. What do we do today? We have everybody open to a Bible. These people... You know what their Bible studies consisted? They weren't Bible studies. They were just teaching. They just sat there and listened. They probably didn't have pens and scrolls to take notes. They just sat and listened to John teach this stuff. And John didn't have a Bible in front of him that he's unrolling. Because where would you have found truth about who you are in Christ? Now, John, by the time he's writing this, he would have had some things. When he, oh, inter, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that they were going, hey, can, John, could you back up and explain that to me again? Or could you say that? Or does that mean this? Oh, I'm absolutely confident that there was there, there was an exchange going back and forth. In fact, we're, we're finding that that's one of the ways that Paul taught when he went into synagogues in different places. It was a dialogeo. Uh, it's kind of a talk, a back and forth talk uh, through truth. And, that, and that's, uh, that's the way Paul taught because that was kind of the way Paul was instructed. What? Blab school. What's it called? Blab school. Blab school. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. The teacher would come up front and give an acronym and spell it out for him, and then all the kids repeat the letters of the acronym, and then the teacher says the the word relating to the acronym, and that's that's how they conducted school. Oh, yeah. Because there's no pen and paper, so. 
And it's real interesting you say that. I'm going to have to look. I don't have it in my notes here. I don't remember the verse off the top of my head, but I think two times in the New Testament we have, I think once Luke and I think once Paul uses the word catechize. That's what we would say, that we get catechism from. And it was a word in the New Testament times that meant to do exactly that. You said this, and then you had them echo this back to you. And it was this back and forth, this da-da-da-da. It's kind of what, you know, when some of a lot of us probably when we were in school, we had a teacher that got up front and recited stuff to us. And then the whole class recited together what the teacher said, you know. And you learn. And surprisingly, people learn better with that than than just sitting and reading a book all by themselves, generally. Reminds me of Awana. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of that in Awana. There is, yeah. It's uh, repetition, they say, is a good instructor. So back over now in John chapter 14. Having looked at this, that what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's taking instruction and he's actually putting this together. But I'm going to... I'm, I do want to say one other detail on this with the teaching in verse 26. These disciples don't have a lot of instruction to operate on at this moment in time. They have the things that Jesus had said here. But God's going to give spiritual gifts. And some of those spiritual gifts are going to be the gift of teaching. It's going to be a word of knowledge. We, we know about the word of knowledge. We know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 13. We talk about a word of knowledge. And it talks about knowledge. Knowledge, he says, is one of the gifts that uh, he says will pass. He says, if I have all knowledge, people don't understand. It's a gift of knowledge. And it's a word for experiential knowledge. And I, I always use, the example I always use is, is, you have a position in Christ. What do you do with that? Well, you should seek it out. You should set your mind to it. And you should be at ease there. But we know that because we've been taught those three things. Word of knowledge, experiential knowledge comes along and says, no, you just listen to Paul teach us about who we are in Christ. And this is what God says to do with that truth. This is how God tells you to use that truth. So it's a word of knowledge. And, and closely related to that is also the word of wisdom. How to put to use. I always think wisdom is not just knowing how to use stuff, but knowing when to use it. There's an appropriate time to use what you know. Okay, and sometimes we as Christians, we struggle with, we know all this stuff and let's say Peggy has a question and Peggy answers this question and the answer to her question is A, but by the time Tim gets done sometimes, I lack wisdom in doing this. By the time I get done, she's got an excursus on B and C too and she didn't need B and C, she just needed me to give the answer A. And wisdom sometimes says, just give the answer A. That goes along with what you talked about with they weren't able, they, they wouldn't be able to handle any more that was said to them. Mm -hmm. So, And I've seen that happen with untaught believers and then you're so excited and stuff, you say stuff and it just kind of blows them out of the water and you're like, oops, you appreciate it. It's like you want to teach the whole Christian life in one night. Oh, oh yeah, you want to teach positional truth and you want to teach, you know, all these cool things and, and and you just like pull them over and they don't get it. Obviously, they didn't have any, you know. Anyways, it's, yeah, so you definitely need to know when, when to say something. Yeah. I'm just, I, I, I'm just going to illustrate it like this. And I'm not saying this is the right way to do it. But I'm just saying a lot of times when I, if I meet somebody that doesn't know anything about who they are in Christ, 
I take him back. What's the gospel? What's the gospel? What did Christ do? He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. Let's take those three things. You were put into Christ by the Spirit. God now says you share in the death of Christ. You died with him. You didn't. You didn't go through a physical experience of death, but God counts you. He credits you to have participated. He credits you to have participated in the burial of Christ, and he now credits you to be alive and even seated at his right hand. So just start with those three simple facts. I mean, if you, if you share those three simple facts with a believer that knows nothing about who they are in Christ, that right there is a huge, huge foundation for making some progress in the Christian life. But if you, you can do that, but you always need, and this is the point here, you need the Holy Spirit, the encourager, to come along and teach that, to put those things together. He's the one that can fit that into their thinking. Peg and I have been married for 37 years, and there's things when somebody says something in a room, I'm like, I bet, I bet Peggy's thinking this right now. And if I went home and said, hey, when so-and-so said this, what did she go, da, 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 like, okay. But having said that, there are other times that much to her frustration, she says to me, A, and my brain goes, like this, and I hear C. Because my mind's thinking about this other thing, and I get caught in this thing. And she's looking at me like, what in the world? See, that's our struggle, is how do we, how do we, how do we connect? When it comes to biblical truth, I don't, if I just teach plainly and simply, I don't have to worry about how it connects. The Spirit will connect that truth for those believers. So that's the first part. He's going to teach, that one will teach you all things. So the Holy Spirit is going to teach these believers what they need, these disciples, so that they can go on and teach. I believe he also is doing, carrying this on with us. But he's taking the things that we hear. Secondly, and it will remind you of all things that I have said. Now, which one of you sat with Jesus and traveled with Jesus, rode in boats with Jesus, so you got to hear all of his teaching? How many of you did that? See, we didn't. So first of all, this really isn't for us. This is chiefly up front for the disciples because the disciples had heard Jesus. They had traveled. They had listened to lots of things he'd said. But again, I'm going to pick on my wife and I. We can be at church and I can say, oh, so-and-so said this. And Peg goes, I was there. No, they said this. And I'm like, are you sure? I thought it said they said this. And she's going, no, they said this. We're both there. We both heard somebody say something and we both think that we heard something different. Now, sometimes it's this way. The person said both things but both of us heard a different part of it. So we've heard this and one heard this. But sometimes it's just that one of us got it wrong. In fact, I, I wrote this down as an illustration in my notes. I very seldom write notes down. And I probably have this story wrong exactly. But I just heard this story about three weeks ago. But it was a teacher, a high school teacher, that had kids when the, when the uh, Columbia Space Shuttle, right? Was it the Columbia, the one that crashed when we were in college? Blew up, yeah. Yeah, it didn't crash, it blew up. Yeah. It, and he took, yeah, it was, yeah. It, and he had his class that was there that witnessed this. I mean, this was just like when we were in college. I mean, people, they rolled televisions into the hallways in the in the uh, classroom buildings we were in. They were playing this, so people were in the halls and they could actually be watching the footage roll over and over. And he had all of his students write down, what were you doing when this happened? Where did you hear it? 
what happened? How did you feel? What did you think? And I may not have all those things, but it was essentially that. And he filed them away because he thought this would be really interesting for them to do. And he always planned to return these things. Well, a lot of time passed, and I don't know how much time, 20 years, 10 years, I don't remember exactly what it was. I need to get back on and find the study. But he contacted as many of these students as he could. And he, asked, and he decided as an experiment to ask them, where were you when, the space, when this happened with the space shuttle? Where did you hear this? What did you think? How did you feel? And went through this thing. How many of them you think, how many of them you think got the story right? Got all the, got most of those details right? Less than 10%. Yeah. Because it was over 70% got almost everything wrong. They did not remember what happened when it happened. They did not remember how they felt. They did not remember where they were. They had, they, had a, they had filled in details in their mind as they thought back through the story over the years so that their version of the story was not what actually they wrote down on that day. So much so that he said he actually had students that argued with him going, well, I was wrong because that is not the way it was. They disagreed with what they wrote down on that day. Now, the reason I share that illustration is when you and I pick up the Gospels and we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how do we know that those guys got it right? How do we know that, I mean, th this is the thing. When you're dealing with skeptics, skeptics think these books were all written. Well, skeptics traditionally always thought that these books were written in the second century. So over 100 years after, and when most of these guys were dead. So they weren't written by eyewitnesses. But even among skeptics that are evangelical, and there are kind of evangelical skeptics that say some of these were written by eyewitnesses. What they witnessed, how do we know that they got it right? How do they know that they remembered it right? Well, we have the promise in Peter that says they were born along by the Holy Spirit. They were born along by the Holy Spirit. That is a key facet of it. But this part right here is also He's going to remind them of the things that, they, that Jesus said. They're going to remember these things. So for two of the writers, Matthew and John, they're going to be reminded accurately of what Jesus said on those accounts. That really is a foundation for why we can appreciate the accuracy of, of the Gospels. Well, what does that do for Mark and Luke? They weren't first-hand witnesses to all these things. But Mark, supposedly, this is what church history said, Mark was actually the, the writer, the interpreter of Peter. People always wanted Peter to write down what he saw and what he heard, and Peter refused to do that. And according, this was according to one of the early writers that's writing at the very beginning of the first century, says, Peter gave Mark permission to record what he did. Peter checked Mark's work, supposedly, and gave it a thumbs up, said, yeah, that's right. Now, whether that's the way it happened or not, or whether the man that made that comment at about 105 or 110, not, a, not being 105, but about 105 or 110 AD, whether that's the way it happened or not, one way or another, Mark wrote down accurately, and that goes back to what Leslie was saying, the promise that Peter writes that the Holy Spirit bore these men along. Same thing has to do with Luke now, that Luke was not an eyewitness, but Luke, from what we can tell from the beginning of the 
book of Luke, he investigated these things. And there's a really good chance. You remember when Paul writes 1 Corinthians? What does he say about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus? What's one of the astounding things that he says in 1 Corinthians 15? It's directly relevant to this. What? What? Yeah, he says, by 500. And then what does he say about it? The 500. What does he say about the 500? The majority of them are still living. Okay, this is Paul writing this. You know who traveled with Paul for quite a little while? Luke. And Luke accompanies Paul back down to Jerusalem. But Luke disappears from the narrative when Paul's going through all his stuff that he gets in trouble with. And he doesn't rejoin the narrative until Paul gets on the ship and heads for Rome. Then Luke's back with him again. And in that time in between, there's a really good chance that among some of those 500 that were eyewitnesses, that Luke went and talked with them and says, hey, can you kind of tell me? And can what, you know? And the thing is, is it, and you and I don't always appreciate this. Because what do we do? Ronnie's over there taking notes. If I were if in Jim's class, Every time I'm there, I've always got my notebook. I, I take notes. I write notes. I've, I'm a note taker. I have been for years. I write stuff down. Uh, helps me remember. But you know, in their culture, they were a very super oral culture. And you're sitting with a group of people and somebody's up telling the story. And I'm saying this and all of a sudden Gary's going, oh, no, 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 wait, 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 Tim. You didn't tell that right. Remember it was this. Oh, that's right. And then Leslie would chime in and Jim would chime in. And, and oral cultures do that. They really track each other, and they keep the story on track. We don't appreciate that because we've gotten lazy because we write everything down. <laughs> and that's been good that that's the way, that's the way God gives us, um, that that's the way God shares his truth with us is that we're able to, um, oh, just a second. Yes. Oh, okay. I don't know who it is. Oh, I, my volume was turned down. Okay. Hey, Somebody... Oh, Josh, go ahead. It's me, Josh. Yeah. Uh, just, just to support what you're saying about the remember the, the first John one through three, the way John communicates with the perfect tense is directly relating to that remembrance. That's right. That's all. That's right. We're going to go there. We haven't got there yet, but Josh was just reminding us to go over to 1 John chapter 1. So let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, and look with me in beginning in verse 1. That which was from a, that which was existing from a beginning, just any beginning, anytime there was a beginning, it says, which we have heard, and that heard is in the perfect tense. So the way some people, I don't know if it was my Greek professor or if it was in a commentary read, but it's as though they heard it and it's though, so they can sit there and I can still hear, I can still hear his, the words echoing in my ears, okay? That which we have seen. You all know what that's like? You ever been someplace in the past and you close your eyes and you're like, oh, I can still see the day we were there. I can, it, it's still, now our thing is, is our, and for us, it might be a little bit mixed up right? Just like those people, that illustration I was giving you. But having said that, keeping that in mind, 
the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing for these guys, John being one of them, that what Jesus said, what he heard, he remembered and it still rang in his ears. He saw it and he could still see it to this day. And it's not his, his version. He sees it the way it was, okay, in that way, which we see out their eyes. And then we have beheld and it changes now when we get to beheld, that's different. That had to do with kind of looking at and considering the different things in which our hands touch. And it's not like we can still feel Jesus and he's using hands, obviously, for kind of figuratively for touching him because did John ever touch Jesus? Yeah, he leaned against him when they shared the, the that last Passover. And that probably was not the only time that he ever leaned up against his friend. That was very common in their culture. Thank you, Josh, for, for um, well, reminding us to come over this. I don't know. It seems to recall that Jesus. Oh yeah. He told him, "Don't touch him," but he also said, "Touch me. I have, I'm flesh and blood." Yeah. When he first met the ladies, he said, "Don't, don't, don't, don't touch me yet, because I have not yet ascended to my Father and yours." Yeah, but later, when they were going to eat, I think it was when they when, were when he appears that night. So in the morning, he tells the ladies, "Don't touch me yet." Yeah. But then you go a little while later, and and then when he appears to the disciples that night, he says, "Yeah, touch me. Go ahead. You can do that." See that I'm not I'm a spirit or I'm not a, I'm not a spirit I'm not a spook I'm physical this is a real body and a week later when Thomas is with them he says hey touch my hands reach inside here doesn't ever tell us that Thomas does but he at least made the genuine offer to Thomas that uh, that Thomas could actually physically touch him so yeah they had this 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 experience thank you again Josh and I also He says that he talked to eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I, I just, I, I'm going to have to go back and look at that again. I, that in my mind, I kind of remember this, but I... Acts. Is it Acts? It might be the beginning of Luke. Because yeah. uh, I know that he says he... This is handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It's there it is. fitting for me as well, having right. investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order. Yeah, so he says says that these things were passed down. Yeah, so there were eyewitnesses. I just couldn't remember for sure if this is if, where it was. Thank you. So there were people that, that, that he had talked with, like, like the illustration we were using. Like Paul says, there, he appeared to over 500 at one time, and the majority of them were still living at that time. So if we go back over to John chapter 14, that promise that he's going to remind you of all things that I have told to you, that promise is chiefly for these disciples as they're going to, and he, he tells us at the end of chapter 15, turn to the end of chapter 15 for just a minute here. And notice the last verse of chapter 15, verse 27. And you also will witness because you have been with me from a beginning. Okay. So those disciples joined him. They traveled with him when he did these things. They listened to the things he said. And, uh, but they weren't, keep in mind, they weren't witness to everything. Because Luke tells us about something none of the disciples witnessed. He tells us about the birth of Christ. None of them were witness to that. The birth of Christ. None of those disciples were there. 
tells us the birth of John the Baptist. The disciples were there. Matthew does the same thing. The temptation of Jesus. None of the disciples were there. Jesus is by, it tells us he was alone when those things happened. So there were some things they, that they needed the Holy Spirit to fill in details and tell them other parts of that. But there were things that other people heard accurately. So back in John chapter 14, keeping this in mind, want to ask then this next question with regard to the reminding. Does the Holy Spirit do this for us? And I'm just going to stick my neck out and I'm going to say, I think the promise that he made to them about what Jesus is doing, I think he does this for us. But this is what it, this is, but I think we need to be really careful. That is, if I'm up here and I teach you something that I think that is not right, you might remember that because there have been times that I've had people say, hey, Da, 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 da. And I'm kind of sitting there going, no, 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 that is something I said, but that's not what the Bible says. But they remember this thing I said that's actually not a perfect, straightforward, ac accurate presentation of truth. That's not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is not going to remind you of error. You might remember error. <laughs> Maybe Satan comes along and jogs your mind, memory with some error that you learned at one time. But the Holy Spirit is only going to remind you of truth. So if I open the word of God and we present truth to you and you get that truth, the Holy Spirit can take that truth and he can remind you of what, what you learned at a given time so that you can actually then potentially put it into practice if that's necessary. Or maybe you don't, um, maybe you, maybe you don't need to put it into practice. Here's an example. I don't remember how many years, this was a lot of years ago here. But um, Dan Dalkey wanted me to meet with a friend of his because his friend was going through just a, just a whole bunch of trouble. And his friend came in and sat down and kind of went through all of the stuff. And so then I asked his friend, you know, well, you know, what about God, Jesus Christ? And I ended up finding out his friend is Mormon. And I don't remember that Dan had told me this ahead of time, but maybe he had. And I was like, so then I started kind of talking about, well, this is who Jesus Christ is. And I wasn't going to wrestle this guy on the floor on, with regard to all the Mormon doctrine problems. That's not what he needed. He really needed just to hear the gospel and went over this. And boy, I'm telling you, this guy, in the midst of all of his problems, it's like he pulled out all the guns and he went and he was telling me all the reasons why Jesus is a God, but he's not the God of the universe. He's not one with the, he's not equal with the Father in the way that you and I understand. He's going through all of this stuff. And I'm telling you, I'll be very honest, by the time he was done and I had gone through seminary and I'd been pastoring for a while and teaching the word, I was just a little bit mentally addled when he left. <laughs> but you know what? As soon as he left, and I, and I was, you know, I'm trying not to get into an argument with him, but I am kind of countering with some different things in there. But as soon as he left, it was like John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was facing God, and the Word was God. The simplicity of that statement. The Holy Spirit brought that to mind. And then there were verses I had studied and read on the de on, with regard to God's deity and the fact that there's one true God, not many true gods, not many gods, uh, in Isaiah. And I sat in my office after this guy left. I, must, I bet I sat for a half hour reading through those chapters in Isaiah. But I was reminded of those statements. I, I couldn't remember them all word for word, so I had to go over and look at them. So I had to get my Bible out and read through these things. And in the process of looking at those, I'm like, oh, 
right there. That's a trinity. Look at that. I don't know if I'd ever noticed that that was the trinity before in that statement. And I'm sitting there. But that was the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't that the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, Tim, go over to the book of Isaiah. You'll find something over there. No, it was that I had been through this before. And the Holy Spirit brought it back to mind. Not so that I could fight with that guy. I don't think that the Holy Spirit's going to help you load up your your spiritual guns to take out people and get into spiritual battles with them because it doesn't he doesn't want us to do that according to scripture but what he did do was he reminded me of what i needed so that i in my mind could be reminded of biblical truth so i'm just using that as an illustration that if you have learned biblical truth the spirit can remind you of that biblical truth that doesn't mean that just because you read it in the bible at one time that you that you actually know it to be reminded of it, right? Because Peg and I are reading through the Bible. <laughs> Once in a while we're coming across, you come across things that it's like, I don't know how many times we've read through the Bible, but we read through it and we're like, how in the world do I not remember this? <laughs> and I know I've read this. I know I've read this verse before, but how do I not? It's just that sometimes you can read it, but it's not a thing that you consciously kind of think about and take it in and try to make sense of it you know, or try to understand it. But if that, if that has happened, though, the Holy Spirit can take that truth and can remind you of that at a moment in time that you need that. And again, I don't think he's going to remind you of that to argue doctrine. I really don't think so. Because we have enough passages that Paul writes, Timothy and Titus both, basically saying, don't get drawn into arguments. He says it doesn't benefit anybody. In fact, he even tells Timothy, he says, and you know what happens? It makes you carnal when you get, in, when you get involved in verbal battles, arguments. And that's a hard thing for us as Christians to learn because we've been taught to argue and debate. But we shouldn't. If we got people that are talking, we can give them some scripture. We can point them to some things. If they do, if they want to fight and argue, the smartest thing to do is to walk away. Remember, we even have a proverb that says that. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then the next statement, answer a fool according to his folly. And there's people are like, what in the world? See, well, it's that don't get involved in arguing with him when he's going over these things. If you do, you're answering him according to that folly. <laughs> you're acting just like him. That's what the proverb is trying to get at. When you do that, you end up acting like that guy, the very guy that you're, you're, you're trying to correct. So, But that takes some discernment, I really think. It takes discernment is to realize when to just cut it off and just to stop and say, okay, well, we don't agree. I've stood and talked with people at my front door several times. And you go over the gospel, and you, they they let you share, and you take some things, but pretty soon it's it's just a you're just watching the the volley back and forth on the on the spiritual tennis court, and you just have to say, well, I'm not going to stand here for a half hour just launching. It's not they're not going to be saved because I managed to pull out 20 verses and they only had 19. It doesn't work that way, okay? You don't land you don't land a a serve in their court spiritually because you bested them with scripture. Anyway, kind of see where we are. I think that that's, does anybody have any other comments here? I'm just going to see if I had anything else. Um, I was thinking that there was one other statement in here. 
Nope. I think that's it. That's kind of where we'll put off. That, that's where we'll cut off. Um, do just before we quit, I do want to look at one last one last idea with this. These things. It turns me to Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Matthew twenty-eight. Let's go to verse sixteen when you get there. And it says, "And the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain." to which Jesus had put them in order to, to go there. And having seen him, they worshiped, that is, they worshiped him. Uh, but some of them were still wavering. They're still kind of being divided on this. This is amazing. This is at the end of the 40 days that he's been appearing to them and interacting with them. Some of them are still kind of wondering what's going on. This is going to be borne out as we get to the rest of, of chapter 14. You're going to see some other things Jesus is going to say. <coughs> but verse 18 and Jesus approaching them spoke and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, having been sent or having been made to go, <coughs> now this is, our, this is our imperative, disciple all nations. Don't just disciple Jews. That's what he's saying. Disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, to guard all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even unto the completion of the, all the days, even unto the completion of the age. But the point here that we're looking at is Jesus gives this, number one, this is not the mark. I, I, I know people get upset if I'd say this in a lot of contexts, but this is not the marching order of the church. Marching order for the church, I think, is really the command to love one another as he loved us. And I think that that command is in this verse because in verse 20, teaching them to keep all things which I have commanded you. What did he commanded them? He commanded them to love one another. So that was what they should have been chiefly teaching these people. And I think that they did because it's one of the things that the early church was known for was this unusual kind of love that they had for one another. And you see that even in the book of Acts uh, in there. And so I, I think that this is important to understand how if, again, this teaching idea uh, that it relates to Jesus taught them this. Did, do you think any of those, we already talked about this when we went over the new command and that's been back a few months now. But do you think these disciples, when Jesus is talking at this point, do you think that they're like taking notes and they go, okay, wait a second, he gave us a new command. We're to love one another as he loved us. And they're writing, they're taking notes on their hands. Crib notes, you know, something like, is this what they're, no. The Spirit's going to have to remind them. Because I, I still think when you look at Peter back there in John 13, I think Peter missed the whole new command altogether. I think it just totally blew past him. Because he hears Jesus before that saying, I'm going away. And then he tells him about the new command. And as soon as he's done, Peter's going, where are you going? <laughs> and why can't we come? Peter's so stuck with that thing that I think he just misses that new command. That's why the Holy Spirit has to come and remind them of these things. Because there's things he says in that upper room that I think some of these guys didn't get at that time. It's they, Thomas that says that, John, isn't it? No, turn, turn to the end of John 13. Oh, the end of 13, it's 14 when he says, we do not know where you're going. Right. Thomas. 
So it's Peter first and then Thomas. Yeah, verse 36, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, this is 1336, Simon Peter says to him, where do you go? And Jesus said, where I go, you're not able to come. And now, and he's, and he, then he, what's he going to say at the beginning of verse, chapter 14, verse 1? Do not let your heart be troubled. Why is, why is, why is their heart troubled? Because they're agitated over Jesus saying, I'm going to leave. He says, you don't need to be agitated over this. You don't need to be agitated over this thing. So that was something that they definitely needed to be reminded of because I, I personally, and this is just my reading of it, but I think Peter missed it because Peter's so, and that happens. I've, I've had to apologize to Jim different times when he's teaching his class because Jim makes a statement. I'm like, what? oh, and I'm sitting, I'm looking at my Bible. Five minutes later, I'm like, oh, where is he now? And I'm having to look over at Jeremy's Bible to see where Jeremy is because I got stuck on something, a point that, that, that Jim made, and for five minutes I'm totally off track because I'm thinking about this other point that he made, you know, and it got me thinking about something else. I, and I think we all do that, right? We all know what that's like, that we get sidetracked by something that really I catches our think attention. that's good. That we get sidetracked? Well, that you're thinking about what is being said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not just, you know, it's just coming. You're just sitting there just trying to yeah. just write notes down as fast as they can. As, 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 as long as it's not like it hasn't provoked a, an argumentative response. Oh, I don't think it points out our limitation. You know, and then you're looking for something that's. Yeah. It points out our limitation. We're not, we can't hear all, take all in, and remember all. Yeah. Because, you know, Especially this last year, I can't remember anything. Yeah. You know, for more than... I understand. I, I gotta go back and read it after class. That's right. Which is a good way to do it, yeah. to go back and yeah, review. I can be disciplined. Yeah. I, I couldn't even tell you what class it was in in seminary, but I had a class, and I remember after seminary, I was teaching Bible studies in Iowa City, and it was John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And I am trying to put this together, what Jesus is getting at. And I worked, and I went to my file cabinet, and I pulled out notes from classes in John, and I pulled out notes from all kinds of places, and I couldn't find a note anywhere on that verse. And I'm like, oh. And I just kept doing the legwork and working on that verse and comparing it and looking at other scriptures. And after... It, I, seriously, you, you might be amazed, but I bet probably two weeks studying before I was able to piece together the point that Jesus was making in John 17, 3, trying to get that. He's talking about experientially knowing God the Father and knowing him in terms of being a man, because we can only be a man. That's why he says in Jesus Christ. Anyway, about a month after I had gone through that study and come to this conclusion. I'm going through some something else and I haven't pulled some notes. I flipped through something and I'm like, huh, look at this. And here is a note, handwritten in my own handwriting in a class that I, and the, the teacher happened to be Laverne Schaefer because he's the one we were talking about. And he goes over it and there it is. I had written almost exactly down the conclusions I had come to and I would written those things down. And I remember then when I saw him sometime couple years later or something I said I told him this story and he says that's a good thing because God wanted you to come to that conclusion and he yeah. wanted you to get it he didn't want you to regurgitate it because it was in your notes <laughs> is he the one that talked about making it your own 
Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. God wanted you to make it your own. And sometimes, sometimes we can learn a truth and you're and you just regurgitate. You've heard the saying, you know, the new pastor comes to town and he's like, hey, you know, what what is and this is to me kind of crazy, but um, or it's not a new pastor, it's a new person in town. They're thinking of going to this church and they say, How what does that church believe? And they go, Well, go and talk to Mrs. So and so down the street. And he walks in and sits down with her and he goes, I'm just kind of curious. So what what is your church believe? Well, my church believes what I believe. Well, that's not helpful. So then he says, well, what do you believe? Well, I believe what my church believes. He's going, oh, man. Well, what do you and your church believe? Well, we believe the same thing. <laughs> and that, but the thing is, and when I heard somebody tell that, that joke probably 25 years ago, I thought that's a really, and they were using it, that's a really good illustration of the way a lot of Christians are. They've never personalized biblical truth. It's just, they just kind of recite the church line and and i and i remember this I, I don't mean to keep bearing this out but dwight said when he did driver's ed over the years he said that was one of the things that he really noticed with kids that came through that were in churches where they really taught the bible kids that some of them were christians some of them he presumed most of these kids were christian versus versus he said primarily mormons and catholics maybe it was primarily mormons but the mormons would always say well the church teaches the church teaches the church teaches he says but you did because he says the kids get into all kinds of discussions in the back seat right around you're doing driver's ed for two hours or whatever it is they talk about all kinds of stuff but he says the christian kids would always say well the bible says and that really he said that really made an impression on him that they went to the word of god versus the church teaches yeah the church teaches catholic radio station a lot of times coming home because they're the only ones when coming home at night to have decent music to listen to. And so I, I mean, that I personally like, let me rephrase that. And, but I hear these discussions in between. There's a doctor uh, comes on and takes questions and answers. And almost every single time a question is asked, he's, well, the church's stand on this is, and that's exactly what he says over NPR radio. Yeah. Not NPR, but the Catholic The Catholic radio, radio. yeah. So, yeah, so make it your own. Be encouraged by Scripture to study it and make it your own. You were commenting about people that come to the door. Um, sometimes I think that's why God has them come to the door. Because if you are challenged you and, and something isn't your own, then it's been our experience that then we go to the scriptures, see what it says, mm -hmm. and then when you study it for yourself, it you becomes, own. You, yeah, you own it. Exactly. You become firm, you, you're, you're stabilized, because you, you, you may have read it before, you may have heard it taught before, you may have been grown up with it, but now it's firm. It's, it's something that you could say to somebody else. You, you understand it well enough to be able to explain it to you somebody else. You learn, it's inculcated in yours. I think a lot of times we know things, just we know, like what Leslie's saying, we know. But when you, some, you have to try to explain it, like, you know, Sunday school or to a believer that asks a question or whatever, and you try to say it, it's, it's different. You, really understand it and know it and be able to know it well from scripture mm -hmm. to say it accurately. 
Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, I, we looked at an example of that tonight, didn't we? That's in First John 2, with those young believers. Mm -hmm. They have truth that they know. They've heard it. But apparently they haven't fully made it their own yet. So they kind of have to be reminded. And John's saying, this is a good time to make it your own. Abide. <laughs> Abide, guys. Uh, so, very good. Okay, well, um, we will... See, tonight is the 10th.